Hello from the East Coast to the West Coast and to listeners around the world. Welcome to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. I'm your host, Angeline Marie. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. We're broadcasting on Liberty Works Radio Network at libertyworksradionetwork.com and their affiliate stations. Also, don't forget, you can always learn more about our program and find podcasts posted at truthseekersradioshow.com. Today, my guest is Jay Dyer. He's a writer, researcher, and radio show host with a BA in philosophy. His graduate work focused on the interplay of literary theory, espionage, and philosophy. Jay's the host of a radio program called Esoteric Hollywood, broadcast on the Talk Radio Network, where he deconstructs the deeper messages, symbols, and predictive programming subtexts that underlie modern film and media. Today, we'll be discussing his upcoming book, also titled Esoteric Hollywood, and how pop culture and media are used to propagandize and mind control the masses. So if you will help me welcome Jay. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, Jay, so I'm sure you've heard this question before, but I need to ask it for any listeners in my audience who maybe haven't heard any of your interviews yet. What led to your interest in the parallel between our pop culture and the connection to Hollywood these secret societies and so on, and what I would call mind control. Ultimately, what led to esoteric Hollywood? Well, I always enjoyed the arts, and my family were very much into the arts. My mom was an English major, and that probably contributed to me collecting a lot of books throughout my life. So I've always been a bibliophile, have a pretty extensive library, and I always liked fiction. I've always liked stories. Uh, I studied in graduate school both philosophy and literature, so kind of a dual major I did there. Um, and well, master's work I did there. But uh, really, I think we swim in a culture of Hollywood. We live in a society that's drowning in fiction and, you know, the fantasy storylines, I guess you could say. And ever since the rise of science fiction in the early uh, 20th century, what we've seen is just the explosion of this kind of this, this whole genre, you know, whether it's a Harlequin romance novels or whether it's, um, you know, you guess you go all the way back to the Greeks and the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, humans love stories. They love they love fictional tales, and what Hollywood has done is capitalized on that, and really they've made themselves into the drivers of the culture. So whether it's pop music or whether it's pop cinema, that's really what drives and influences the culture, you know, far more than even things like politics. So Hollywood is really the nexus of even mass media in terms of the news. I mean, the news is more so Hollywood, I would say, than than it is a reality. And so even when we think we're getting, you know, factual news broadcasts, we're actually being by the techniques of, of Hollywood and fictional filmmaking. Um, and that's really what Hollywood's always been designed to do. It was set up to be <clears throat> a way to drive the culture and to socially engineer. Uh, it also has darker aspects so that, you know, get into what you mentioned with mind control and things like that. Whether it be agent uh, and handlers uh, with their musicians and their actors, or whether it be the notion of the director as a kind of magician who's putting a hoodwink, a spell over on the audience, uh, or whether it's the notion of that goes all the way back to the Greeks of the actor taking on a spirit or a persona of someone else. And this is the, the ancient Greek uh, view of the dromenon, which is a liturgical or ritual act where a person takes on the spirit of someone else. So all of these aspects go together, and Esoteric Hollywood is my book that kind of <clears throat> collects together the best uh, film analyses that I've written. I've written, I think, um, over 100 in the last few years, uh, as well as 
five or six hundred other articles that deal with philosophy, religion, theology, metaphysics, geopolitics, and espionage, and all these things kind of tie together. So I take a, a broad-ranging, you know, sort of tie-together patterned approach where I look at all these fields and how they relate to popular film, and, you know, it's really taken off in the last few years. You know, I've gotten several millions of hits in the last couple of years, so something that really um, resonates with the audience, and it resonates, I think, because I'm telling the truth. Jay, you mentioned, I mean, was Hollywood really originally specifically designed to help manufacture the so-called pop culture or whatever the fair, whatever they wanted to be the fair of the day? Or do you think it just sort of evolved into that when they started to see how people are so drawn to Hollywood and film and such? Uh, no, it was always intended to be that, uh, particularly when you look at the planning of the Royal Society and groups like the Fabian Society and the Tavistock Institute in England. These are <clears throat> British uh, think tanks and social engineering outfits that decided that you could utilize the moving picture for the purpose of propaganda. And so early on, uh, especially back in you know the early days of film, 20s and 30s, it was done primarily for war propaganda. You know, some of the earliest stuff is war propaganda. Uh, and the military saw right away that this could be useful for that effect. Um, you have Germans doing it, using cameras and, and filming for propaganda. You have this done by the British. And then the decision was made uh, by the Royal Society in London to, rather than locate Hollywood in England, which is the, you know, the sort of the foundation of modern acting and theater with the Globe Theater of Shakespeare, which itself has many hermetic and occultic associations and connections. Rather, the decision was made that it would be Hollywood. And so that's why you find early on in Hollywood with uh, MGM and these different studios having a direct connection to British intelligence through people like Hitchcock and various um, British writers like Ian Fleming or Noel Coward or Roald Dahl. All of these British agents who uh, actually worked for British intelligence were very instrumental in uh, shifting and helping certain policies and films to be made, you know, in the, the golden and silver era of Hollywood. Can you give us some examples of maybe classic films with symbolism and imagery, maybe things that we, the average person wouldn't know, notice? I mean, sure. I know you talk about Ian Fleming in the Bond films. What are some of these symbols and, and connections that we would never really notice? Right. Well, as I mentioned, um, everybody's familiar with Alfred Hitchcock, and you can go back to any of the Hitchcock films that he's also, he's not just the master of suspense, he's also the master of the spy film genre. So back in the 30s, Hitchcock was shooting uh, spy movies that were based on the writings of people like William Somerset Malcolm, who was a secret agent for British intelligence, or for Joseph Conrad, who wrote The Secret Agent. Both of those would become <clears throat> Hitchcock films. And then what Hitchcock would later do is, I, would, I believe, based on connections with the Tavistock Institute, it was that he would take these different techniques of psychological warfare and he would implement them into his films. And so when you're watching something like Psycho, you know, the, the idea of creating trauma in the audience is something that is, uh, Hitchcock explicitly talked about being a technique that he learned from different theoreticians and psychologists who were working with the British establishment in psychological warfare in the Tavistock Institute. So that's an example of the film or the medium itself being a means by which you can manipulate the audience. But when it comes to symbolism, uh, you know, the Hitchcock films are full of Freudian symbolism. They're full of phallic symbolism. Um, and you could even go all the way back to Fritz Lang with his famous film Metropolis, where you immediately see, you know, inverted pentagrams and the idea of transhumanism or that we could actually 
create, uh, you know, artificially intelligent beings that come to life at the base of a pentagram, if you've ever seen First Line Metropolis. And uh, Hitchcock would borrow a lot of imagery from German Expressionism, and he would put it into, for example, into his film Spellbound, uh, the 1939 film. And that includes, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that includes imagery by a surrealist Salvador Dali that is all about the all-seeing eye and so forth. And so when we think about, you know, obvious examples of the all-seeing eye, you know, that coming out of Freemasonry or things like that. Um, but it's much deeper than that, you know, all the way up into modern films like uh, The Matrix or 2001 A Space Odyssey. All of these films are packed and replete with symbolism because, and that's natural because film itself is a symbolic medium. So just as we think of letters or words as symbols, so are images on a screen symbols. And so the director is, of course, a kind of writer. He's writing a script with the screen. It's not just the screenplay writers that are writing. It's also the director who's creating you know, the image, the icon in front of you that tells you the story. So, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter really where you start. Any of the, any of the more prominent films are going to be packed with symbolism, you know, all the way up to, as I said, modern films like The Matrix. We see all kinds of imagery in The Matrix that points to, like I said, Masonic ideas, like the great architect of the universe, right? That's straight out of masonry. That's who's organizing this whole situation of, um, you know, the controlled environment of The Matrix where Neo and everybody's trapped and they're trying to get out of this this computer simulation. Um, if you think about Kubrick films, those are always replete with symbolism, everything from the idea of the monolith being this kind of advanced AI uh, or slash alien god type entity that is responsible for the furtherment of human so-called evolution. Uh, what, what Kubrick is doing is not just uh, inculcating the idea of exotheology, which is the idea that we're kind of the children of the gods, right? It's the gods who seeded Earth and kind of a panspermia, but rather that uh, human development is something that is Luciferian. It's based on this idea of the black cube or the monolith or, or the, the, uh, the spirit from the beyond, right, who uh, raises man's consciousness throughout these aeons of Darwinian evolution. But these are all notions that um, are portrayed symbolically in the film 2001. And it's also ultimately a, an alchemical film because in alchemy you have the idea of the great work and perfecting of nature, which is the, the goal of all the alchemists, right? The philosopher's stone. Well, that's all portrayed you know, symbolically in Kubrick's famous 2001 A Space Odyssey. It also borrows, as I said earlier, from ancient Greek mythology with the Odyssey, right? I mean, it's Bowman in the story who is the figure of Odysseus, you know, who goes on the journey and then tries to ultimately get back home or whatever that might be, you know, returning to God or the infinite or whatever. So, you know, going past uh, Jupiter and infinity and beyond, that is significant in terms of man's, in Kubrick's mind, I think man's uh, attempt to transcend the limitations of time and space. That's what that film is all about, all about a spatial odyssey as in time and space because that's what Bowman does when he goes down that long sort of uh, vaginal cavern at the end. It's him trying to transcend limitations of time and space and ultimately death, and that's what we see in that scene in that, um, the French hotel, uh, the, the, I believe it's the, the, the Louis XVI-era French hotel room that he's situated in where he's about to die, right? And then he, he as he's dying, he enters into the monolith, right? And that's when he transcends time and space. So uh, you also see the notion of the gods present at the end of the film with 
seven diamonds that appear, these cubical figures. Um, so that, you know, the idea of the cube, that's obviously spatial, the six directions of the cube. All of these things are encoded in that film, for example, but that's just one example amongst many. And there's countless films, you know, as I said, I've done um, 100 plus analyses, you know, that millions of people have read. So, so there's, there's just an infinite variety to, mm-hmm. to choose from in trying to decode these films. And it can go as deep as you like to go. I mean, you take a film like The Shining. The Shining is full of all kinds of things that relate to mind control and uh, child abuse. It's Danny, um, Jack Nicholson's son, uh, who's actually abused. And that's what the story is about, is dissociation and uh, uh, traumatization and trauma-based mind control, ultimately, because that's what we find out is happening with with Danny. Um you know, you can go to films like The Black Dahlia, the 2006 neo-noir film by Brian De Palma. You know, this presents ritual murder, uh, a famous you know Hollywood case of ritual murder, The Black Dahlia with uh, Elizabeth Short. Um, and this film is full of uh, you know cultic and ritual symbolism as well. If we think about the recent uh, True Detective series, you know both of these are based around occult, uh, uh, satanic cult type practices that involve human sacrifice and, um, you know, ritual workings and so forth. So there's really no end to, you know, where you find it. It's just everywhere. Hollywood's kind of a a cult machine that just pumps this stuff out nonstop. Okay, Jay, well, let's take our first break. Listeners, today my guest is Jay Dyer. He's the author of upcoming book Esoteric Hollywood, and we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call Call 800-965-1291. 800-965-1291. 800-965-1291. You can control your health care with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is an alternative to expensive health insurance. You can finally make the right decisions for you and your family. It's not insurance, it's medical cost sharing. You can affordably control the cost of your medical expenses. It's a group of individuals effectively sharing the cost of health care and paying far less for it. You don't even have to pay for procedures that are unnecessary or that violate your conscience. This is based on shared values. You are not alone. With Liberty Health Share, you're part of something bigger, a group of people who care for and support one another. Join the movement of people who share in medical costs and change the way you pay for your health care forever. It's simple and easy. Call 1-800-714-6993 right now for more information or visit libertyoncall.com. Get a free estimate today. Liberty HealthShare, there is an answer.
Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers Radio Show. Today, my guest is Jay Dye. He is the author and radio show host of both a book and a program called Esoteric Hollywood. And today, we're discussing how pop culture and media are used to propagandize and mind control the masses. Jay, I've heard you talk about uh, Moonraker and the secret space program. And what I find interesting, I know that film was in the, I believe, this maybe the 70s or early 80s. And you brought out how it mentions depopulation, chemtrails, things that we're hearing about today. Can you talk about that film a little bit and the parallel of the things we see today? Sure. Uh, you know, this is an Ian Fleming novel. <clears throat> Uh, that was written, uh, I believe, around 1954, if I recall from memory. And then the <clears throat> film incarnation is 1979, and this is kind of following on the trail of blockbusters like Star Wars, right, where you, know, you, you have the beginning of the modern sci-fi explosion of the blockbuster. And that's what they were kind of going with in terms of uh, Moonrakers. They, they really wanted to capitalize on things like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars. And so they, they took Bond uh, out of, uh, Operation Paperclip in World War II, where he was exposing Nazis, which was what was in the novel, the actual you know V2 rocket program in Operation Paperclip, and they stuck him in space, where the idea is that uh, you have this uh, Sir Hugo Drax, uh, who's this uh, in- international industrialist, who wants to create a breakaway civilization and, uh, in the meantime, uh, depopulate planet Earth, and his goal is to kind of place himself as a new uh, a new version of God, and uh, he's going to mate with his bevy, his harem of women, and repopulate the earth with his seed. Meanwhile, everybody else dies. In what way? Well, through a biowarfare attack of uh, chemicals that fall down on you from the air. <laughs> so here we have, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the, the whole idea like chemtrails and the depopulation. Uh, and there's a curious scene as well where you have Bond kind of stumbling across. Uh, men on the moon <laughs> in an, a movie studio. So uh, curiously, in the midst of Moonraker, you have this kind of revelation of the method presentation of the moon landing being faked uh, on a soundstage. Uh, well, excuse me, that's actually in Diamonds Are Forever, but uh, it's curious that uh, right after Diamonds Are Forever, you would have this presentation of uh, Moonraker, right, where, where Bond is then in space, even though Diamonds Are Forever exposed, you know, the moon landing is apparently being staged. So uh, it's kind of a play with reality here, um, but it, really what you have is you know, this international organization that's known as Spectre, which is always headed by some industrialist or by Blofeld or someone like that. And Spectre is uh, you know, involved in setting up a global government, and they're not, they're not nationally based. They're international spies recruited out of different nations to work at the behest of some form of internationalism. Early on in the Bond series, it was, of course, communism and fascism. Uh, but by the time of the 70s and 80s, it turns into international capitalism. That is the driving force behind uh, the, you know, the secret of world government, shadow government slash, you know, Spectre. Uh, and so Spectre is, you know, intent on genetic manipulations, create biowarfare um, pathogens that can um, depopulate the Earth. And this was Hugo Drax's plan. And this is exactly what we see people like Bill Gates talk about, you know, Bill Gates talks about uh, pioneering the uh, aerosol geoengineering spray spraying programs. Uh, he talks about openly, you know, his involvement in Monsanto and transhumanism. So, you know, we, the character of Hugo Drax matches up perfectly to <laughs> Bill Gates or David Rockefeller or someone like this. 
You know, I was really surprised at when I've heard you say that there's celebrities that are CIA. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some celebrities past or present that you know or maybe in, with these intelligence agencies? Sure. Well, this is no secret. This is a long-time tradition. You know, the, the British Empire is who kind of pioneered modern espionage all the way back to Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth had hundreds of spies throughout the British Empire, uh, including people in the theater. Uh, and some people even argue that uh, whoever Shakespeare was uh, or his maybe it was a collection of people, uh, they were Elizabethan spies, uh, as were people like Christopher Marlowe. So uh, this is nothing new, and it makes sense because a spy is someone who uh, plays a fake identity, right? And that's what actors do. Actors play other roles. So the the convergence between those two worlds is uh, very thin. And when we think about Hollywood, we can think about Josephine Baker, we can think about Marlene Dietrich, all the way back to those early people. They were actually spies. Coco Chanel was a spy. Well, I don't guess she counts as Hollywood, although she would be, I guess, in advertising. Um, we can think about uh, people like Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Cary Grant worked for um, apparently the OSS. It's not exactly sure, but he did government informing and, in fact, exposed Errol Flynn as a Nazi sympathizer. So you actually see a lot of these people who are spies are playing spy roles in films. Right, I mean, Cary Grant plays spy roles in numerous Hitchcock films, including North by Northwest or Notorious. Uh, Jimmy Stewart was, of course, rumored to be working uh, with the FBI and informing. Uh, and he actually appears in a film called The FBI Story in 1959. So, and there's not really any end to the, the number of celebrities and actors who were working with the intelligence agencies. Um, even sports players like Mo Berg. Mo Berg was for a while working for intelligence as well to spy on, you know, gambling or whatever activities might be going on in the sports world. So the Cold War really you know, set the stage for this, for the recruitment of so many people into informing and being assets and spying and so forth, all the way up to people like Angelina Jolie, who works directly with the CIA through Melissa Mela uh, on films like Salt. Uh, or um, Jennifer Garner uh, worked directly for the CIA in recruiting after her stint at the sh- in the show Alias by J.J. Abrams, a show which was directly consulted by the CIA. Uh, so, you know, this, this is just everywhere. You know, Ben Affleck talks about this openly, too. That the CIA is everywhere in Hollywood. So there's really no end to it, and it goes way back. Uh, and pretty much any of the big names that you can think of at some point you know, had some connection to military intelligence or the Department of Defense, or you know, be it Marilyn Monroe or be it Bob Hope. You know, they all had these kinds of side jobs that they were doing uh, spying. You know, you you talked earlier about how this is also kind of spilled over into serious news. And, you know, when I think about the recent presidential debates and how the moderators many times seem to focus more on the um, the people that are running and how they're backbiting and, you know, they did this or, or they said that. And they spend more of the debate time trying to pit the candidates against each other rather than talk about the problems of the countries. So now the reason I'm asking, saying this is, do you think that the general public is catching on to this, that they're trying to divert attention with this meaningless garbage that they talk about? Or do you think that the average person is still kind of buying into all this manipulation? Uh, I think the average person still buys into it um, because 
you know, people are, are always caught up in these uh, presidential debates and the theatrics and the, you know, the, the vaudeville routine when, you know, the, the president doesn't really do much. You know, the president, when, they, when the people are running for the presidency, they're always promising all these things that the office of the president can't, can't really do anyway. Uh, so, you know, even if, uh, you know, Trump or whoever makes all these outrageous claims and statements, he wouldn't even be able to, you know, enact these things if he were actually, you know, in the in office. Uh, you know, the presidency is still kind of a limited um office, uh, even though Obama has, of course, and predecessors to him have signed, you know, quite a few executive actions into, into place. It doesn't really matter because, I, you know, I, I view the president as really kind of a PR man or a front man to the bankers and the shadow government. So that's who really runs things. It's not, you know, some guy who went to Columbia and studied law. It's going to be the guy with billions of dollars. You know, that's who's going to call the shots. That's who's going to be able to buy off, you know, the campaign, buy off this or that uh, local politician to enact whatever laws or regulations um, that benefit, you know, his private entity or whatever. You know, it's the think tanks, it's the military-industrial complex. These are the entities that really have the power, not, you know, some guy who goes golfing every weekend. And most of the last several presidents, all the way back to Kennedy, literally golf every weekend. Well, how are you running a country for golfing every weekend? Mm -hmm. You know, when, I mean, you, you can't even get that much uh, leisure time if you manage a radio shack. You know? I mean, you don't have weekends every weekend off to golf, much less if you're going to supposedly run an entire country, you're going to be golfing every weekend. It's just completely preposterous. So the presidency itself, I think, is kind of a, uh, a frontest piece to give the facade or the impression that, you know, we actually have this power to vote and, you know, throw the bums out and all this stuff. That's not real. Uh, and uh, Carol Quigley said in Tragedy and Hope, you know, that it's been fake for 100 years. And the, the, the big uh, power elite, the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, you know, these groups have chosen presidents and leaders in the Western world for the last 100 years at least. Jay, what do you know or what do you think about the story that our government may have hired Stanley Kubrick to film Moonwalk Productions. Is that true? or? Well, I think that uh, there's a good evidence to suggest that. Of course, we had this recent hoax video that was pretty obviously a hoax right away. Uh, but that really has nothing to do with whether or not Kubrick did or did not fake Are you moon talking landing. about that dark side of the moon? No, there was a, well, I don't know. There was a, a documentary, a mockumentary that somebody made called uh, Shooting Kubrick, and it's about this guy who supposedly went and interviewed Stanley Kubrick before he died, but it was all hope. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the videos, Kubrick supposedly said, oh, yeah, it was me. I did it. I, I faked the moon landing, uh, which, you know, it's kind of a psyop in itself because I think that he most likely did. I mean, he's the most likely contender. It was shot, you know, and probably in some sort of Disney soundstage. And, but we know for a fact that Kubrick's working hand-in-hand -hand with Arthur C. Clarke and with NASA. And if you look at 2001, the shots and the, the different uh, front-screen projection technology that he was using, uh, you know, this was straight-up done with Air Force and NASA technology. And so if you watch 2001, it's pretty good for its time, you know, in terms of the special effects. Looks pretty real. So, uh, you know, that is a good contender, in my view, for what, what was shot and presented to us as you know, the Apollo moon landing. Uh, I think those videos are quite clearly staged. All right, well, let's take our second break. Listeners, today my guest is Jay Dyer. We're talking about his upcoming book, Esoteric Hollywood, and how pop culture and media are used to propagandize and mind control the masses. And we'll be back momentarily on the Truth Seekers radio show. 
are struggling to pay or haven't been making your student loan payments, listen carefully to this urgent alert. Have you been out of school for 10 or more years and you're still making your student loan payments? Are your student loans past due or even in default? Can't go back to school because of an old student loan problem? We can help you if you qualify. Your student loans can be taken out of default. We can stop the wage garnishments, stop the collection calls, and stop the seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and see if we can help you reduce your student loan payments. One quick 10-minute call could solve them right now. So call the Student Loan Helpline now. 855-371-FAST, 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 855-371-3278. This is a fee-based document preparation service to help you access free government programs. Call for complete details not available in all states. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147 One more time, 800-430-4147 Welcome back. You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show. Today my guest is Jay Dyer. He's the author of Esoteric Hollywood. Jay, could you give out your website or let everybody know where they'll be able to get your book, Esoteric Hollywood? Yeah, if you go to jaysanalysis.com, that's just jaysanalysis.com, you'll see that uh, I have you know, a tab there where there's, you know, as I said, over 100 film, film analyses that get really in-depth. I have, you know, hundreds of other articles that deal with geopolitics and espionage and news, political commentary and satire as well as having a subscription service. Uh, so my graduate work was in philosophy. So I do lectures on philosophy and the esoteric, which you can subscribe to for four ninety five a month, and that's kind of how I make a living. The book will be available in June of 2016, and that can be purchased from Trine Day Publishers, T-R-I-N-E. And there's also a link at my website for the book. Jay, you know, with so much programming today focusing on aliens, whether it's uh, video games, TV shows, a lot of films, what do you think is the purpose behind this? Do you think it's just entertainment or do you think that there's something deeper behind this alien stuff? I believe that the alien uh, scenario is a psychological operation that was uh, created by the Pentagon and the CIA and different outfits like that, Moran Corporation, different think tanks to uh, give a new ideology that would blend well with science fiction and with Darwinism. Uh, and this is ultimately intended to replace the existing traditional religious beliefs of the West in particular. Uh, so since Darwinism has been largely successful in promulgating the idea of scientism and naturalistic materialism, 
materialistic reductionism. Uh, they would they needed a kind of overarching worldview that could blend well with that because Darwinism really only tells us supposedly this mythology of the past. It doesn't really guarantee much about where we're going. You know, are we evolving in a progressive sense? Are we devolving? Who knows? Maybe things don't look too good, especially given the wars of the 20th century. And so what better thing to replace that with than the idea that, oh, well, we were seeded by panspermia through aliens. And the, the alien notion is directly connected to uh, neo-Darwinian theory because the idea of a you know 4.5 billion year rise of man and 13.5 billion year old Big Bang create uh, uh, well it wouldn't be a creation but the origin uh, suggests that it, if that much time uh, was going on for the rise of so-called man whatever man is supposed to be in the scheme then it stands to reason that there would be intelligent life on other planets that evolved over these millions of aeons. Uh, and that suggests quite clearly the notion of aliens and alien visitors. And so that's why you have, you know, many of the premier so-called scientists or purveyors of scientism of the 20th century, Watson, Crick, uh, Alfred Hoyle, uh, Newton, I think, even had ideas of this. The, 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 the hints at panspermia, which is the idea that we're heated here by aliens. So it blends seamlessly with Darwinian theory. And then Darwinian theory, uh, you know, gives us the idea of, well, we're, we're just part of this uh, emergent cosmos, right, that just sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, we don't know where we're going. So maybe the aliens can be our uh, you know, benevolent guides into the future. And in fact, it's Arthur C. Clarke, I mentioned before, who was connected with occult groups and Alistair Crowley, who wrote Childhood's End, and Childhood's End is about the rise of the alien story, right? He wrote that a long time ago. And what do the aliens do? Our benevolent, benevolent overlords are actually the gods of ancient uh, you know, Egypt and Babylon, and they're actually demonic. <laughs> they're not good guys. Mm -hmm. They're here to uh, you know, destroy uh, anything traditional and set up uh, the worship of the demonic. And that's actually what I think we, we see. You know, Jay, I... I look at the word conspiracy, and to me, what they've done is they've demonized the word conspiracy, because as, as far as I know, conspiracy is just when two or more people get together to do something in secret. But when you hear the word conspiracy, you ought, they automatically have made it to where, oh, that's a crazy idea, a crazy person. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think this has been intentionally done over time, the psychological conditioning that's been um, linked to the word conspiracy? Sure. The term itself, ironically, is an Anglo-Saxon common law term that is uh, an infraction right, where if two crooks are getting together to do something or even an individual you conspired to commit some crime, you're guilty of the uh, the the, the uh, you're guilty of conspiracy, right? I mean, you can still be tried for conspiracy in criminal courts. So to say that conspiracy theories are uh, in some way uh, that they carry along with them, this idea of uh, kookiness is preposterous, given that it's still you know, something you can be tried for. Um, and, but in terms of the term, quote, conspiracy theory, that was actually first used uh, in the JFK uh, uh, aftermath, where the CIA was uh, the first to use that term in demonizing people who questioned the official story of Lee Harvey Oswald. And so they immediately called people conspiracy theorists. And ever since then, and through mass media, gained this sort of negative connotation, which is preposterous given the fact that the term itself just means conspiring uh, in one 
proposes a theory about who conspired to do what. So this would, in fact, make every single police detective a conspiracy theorist merely when they're trying to solve a case. So it's utterly absurd, but uh, that's how the manipulation of language works. And that's actually what uh, uh, Orwell, uh, Eric Blair, uh, wrote several essays about, you know, the manipulation of language. And that's not just in 1984, but he also wrote a famous essay about the English language and how deficient people are in the proper usage of, of the language. And so that's how um, easily we can be manipulated is through uh, terms that don't have any negative connotation being given that through mainly through mass media. You know, after seeing Wag the Dog, I, of course, then it gives you new eyes when you're looking at mainstream media news that it's nothing more than theatrics to help drive public opinion. Uh, but I can't help think now, do you think they were, with that film, Wag the Dog, sort of announcing to the public just what they do in news? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, there are two figures who are CIA liaisons, former operatives who work with Hollywood on numerous films, including uh, The Recruit with Al Pacino and Ryan Felipe, um, this TV series Alias, and these are Milt Bearden and Chase Brandon, and they, they both have worked in Hollywood for a long time on numerous uh, big-name films. And um, the figure that Robert De Niro is playing, Conrad Breen, is based on uh, one of the two, I can't remember which one, but he's based on either Milt Bearden or Chase Brandon. Uh, and so you're getting a picture there of how stuff actually goes down. And one of the things that I think is most insightful is is the uh, completely manufactured war in the Balkans, right, which doesn't even exist. It's all created by CGI. Uh, and that's actually, you know, what we see with a lot of these so-called news stories in our day uh, are completely fictional. It's made up. They're CGI. Uh, you know, things like Sandy Hook, in my view, uh, fit into this category. Uh, this, these recent so-called mass shootings uh, seem to fit that bill as well. And so, yeah, we've been told this for a long time. And by the way, that's not the only film that shows fake news. Uh, you can go all the way back to Hitchcock's North by Northwest, where the CIA makes the assassination of uh, Roger Thornhill, Roger, uh, uh, Terry Grant's character in the film. You know, you brought up the mass shootings. When you see these shootings, you know, for a while there, we, it seemed like we had week after week or every other week. When you see this, what do you think is the reasoning behind this? Well, just like Hollywood, that's what I was saying earlier, is that the media presentations that are so-called news really are just an extension of Hollywood. Uh, many of the people who are uh, so-called uh, news anchors are actually actors. And this is a well-known uh, phenomenon in the, the uh, news anchor trade. <laughs> people have fake names and they're actually trying to be actors. That's a you know, way that you might get your start, uh, right? So uh, crisis actor companies are very real. Uh, they've been all sorts of uh, pyrotechnic displays and demonstrations for uh, simulant training and so forth. So all of this is very real, and you have to understand, yeah, everybody's seen probably that viral video from um, Conan O'Brien's show where you have the local news uh, casters are across the country on different affiliates all reading the same script you know it's going to be a cold winter this year so get your you know whatever get your mittens out 
uh, you know, gas prices are rising. This summer, uh, and every one of them says the exact same script. And what that shows you is that there's a central location, uh, you know, Pentagon, CIA, whoever, who's sending out the uh, daily script for all of these uh, purportedly uh, different affiliates to read. So that just shows you how far the, that's one example of how far the coordination goes. But it extends much further than that with the actual operations that go down uh, under the guise of these so-called drills, which always uh, occur during these events. And it, from what I've heard, in 9-11, was included in this, that the government is actually running drills many times when these um, when these situations happen. They're running drills at the same time, the same day, the same type of drill. So you've got a drill over here, but then it's actually being played out in real life over there. And I, I, all I can think is that they're trying to, to just throw confusion into the mix. What do you think about that? Well, the most people aren't watching for the details and trying to figure out what's going on. Most people are just catching this in kind of a drive-by fashion. They're listening to the news, the TV on, or they're you know, driving around with some guy on NPR or something talking. They're not really dissecting the event itself. And so the actual operations are compartmentalized. You know, the information comes down a hierarchy of chain, uh, and it's a need-to-know basis, especially in, in all these uh ridiculous drills everywhere. Uh, so you, you only have, you know, a few people probably at the top who really know what's going on, and the rest of it is kind of uh, organized under the guise of the drill, right? So you have what, crisis actors participating in these things and so forth. And in my view, the, the tendency is, I think, to stage the events. Uh, there, I'm not saying that there are no real events. There are. Uh, but anything that's propelled into the mass media spectrum for weeks on end or, you know, is the talking point for, uh, you know, several days at least, uh, when, it, when it has the entire media behind it that's immediately suspicious because there are shootings that happen all the time. So why is it one strange shooting that's immediately propelled to the top? And it's almost always politicized into some sort of, you know, gun narrative or some sort of uh, what I would say is agitprop, the old technique of the Bolsheviks of agitation propaganda, where it's really just meant to send one little shockwave out to the mass audience that hears it to react in some sort of immediate, um, uncritical way. Uh, so the, the main technique is similar to, you know, the uh, Hitchcock technique of something like Psycho, where it's an immediate blast of trauma, and then you're just supposed to emotionally react without any sort of reason or critical thinking about the event or what's a rational approach to solving the issue or whatever, uh, to immediately just sort of adopt uh, whatever the establishment says as the solution, right? So, uh, you know, we've got to enact uh, local state-by-state -state, uh, gun restrictions to stop these mass shootings. Well, wait a minute. Let's look at the mass shootings. Are they real? Why are there always drills? What's going on here? All right? None of that. Let's, we'll have none of that. Uh, no, just immediately accept what the, uh, the political um, capitalization uh, whores and prostitutes make of the, of the issue as they pop on the news you know, right after the event happened. Okay, well, let's go ahead and take our last break. Listeners, today my guest is Jay Dyer. He's the author of Esoteric Hollywood, and we'll be back momentarily on the True Seekers radio show. Want to lose weight? Then turn your body into a furnace that literally melts the fat away. That's exactly what Thermometer does. Thermometer is uniquely formulated with patented ingredients like bitter orange, brown seaweed, and decaffeinated green tea. Their combined thermogenic properties boost up your metabolism and turn up the heat in your body so you melt the fat away without any jittery side effects. Thermometer is not available in stores. It's only available to listeners of this station. 
We're giving away 100 free bottles right now to anyone who enrolls in our special trial offer. Call now for your risk-free trial offer. 800-430-4147 One more time, 800-430-4147 This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right. General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right. That's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call You're listening to the Truth Seekers radio show today. My guest is Jay Dyer. We're discussing his upcoming book, Esoteric Hollywood, and how pop culture and media are used to propagandize and mind control the masses. Jay, can you give us your website again, please? Sure, it's jaysanalysis.com, just J-A-Y-S, analysis.com. And you'll find all of my interviews and my Esoteric Hollywood show there as well as hundreds and hundreds of articles that you can pour over for endless hours. Jay, <laughs> we were talking earlier about when I brought up um, the film Wag the Dog, and I asked you whether or not you thought that they purposely tell us what they're doing. And I think mm-hmm. in a lot of cases that's true, but is this like some kind of secret requirement that they that they tell us what they're doing? Why do you think they do that? Well, for some people it may be. Uh, people who you know do believe in ritual magic and the occult and black magic and so forth. And there are people in high levels of the establishment government who do believe that. And I mean, that's nothing new. You know, the ancient governments have for millennia, you know, engaged in the practice of human sacrifice uh, and the belief that, you know, they were serving gods or, you know, some sort of nefarious uh, infernal powers or whatever, the power. So that's nothing new. It's an ancient, an ancient human practice, and it still goes on. War itself is a kind of human sacrifice. Uh, you know, even if you don't believe in some spiritual entity, the idea of, you know, I'm going to kill this nation of people so that my nation of people, wink, wink, can have power is itself a kind of human sacrifice, right? It's, it's all for the purpose of power. But from a strategic standpoint, a pragmatic standpoint, it's really just a conditioning mechanism uh, for preparation for, you know, an easier acceptance down the line. And, you know, these are all <clears throat> very scientific techniques. They're not, uh, they're not left to chance. And so the strategies of how you can warm people up to new ideas is perfected. And it take, you know, it's not something that they do willy-nilly. If, you know, if you look, like you mentioned earlier, the uh, alien mythology, you know, this is something that's been seeded and put into the fiction, uh, whether it's literature or 
uh, Hollywood for the last hundred years. You know, you go all the way back to H.G. Wells' uh, you know, alien stories, himself a member of a secret society, Fabian Society, as well as high level Freemason. And, you know, it, it's all about the, the managing of the human herd. And so that's one, just one amongst many techniques of how you can transition uh, a, a mass of people out of one ideology into a new ideology. And the reason they want to do a new ideology is that it's more amenable to the goals of the elites, so, you know, ideas that we mentioned earlier with the breakaway civilization of depopulation and you know, the acceptance of uh, slavery willfully that uh, Aldous Huxley talked about. When you brought up that hoax film about Stanley Kubrick, I I saw recently a film, that's why I asked you, was it The Dark Side of the Moon? There's this film called Dark Side of the Moon, Stanley Kubrick and the Fake Moon Landings. And it was really a strange documentary. It was made for French television. And in it, all of Nixon's advisors were in there. Like There was Rumsfeld, Alexander Haig, Kissinger, uh, CIA director Richard Helms, and they were, and they even had Kubrick's wife, and they were all talking about how the gov- how Nixon wanted to um, hire Kubrick to do these moon landing productions. And then they even went as far as to say, then after it all happened, Nixon was getting scared that maybe people would start to find out that it was a hoax. So he put a CIA hit out on anybody that had been involved in this production. And by the end of the... It's really strange because it really was these guys. I mean, it was Rumsfeld, Kissinger. They were really in this thing. And at the end, you see that it was all a hope. But my question is this. This is where your analysis comes in. Why would such high-profile government guys be involved in what somebody... This isn't my word, but somebody called it a mockumentary. The mockumentary, interestingly, in, in the modern era, goes back to films from Orson Welles. And Orson Welles was, of course, connected to the establishment. Not saying he wasn't a, a good, talented director. I think he was. He made a lot of great films, but he also was wrapped up in the establishment. And, you know, of course, after he made Citizen Kane, which was critical of one of the elite, he had a hard go <laughs> afterwards. So, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to cast exclusion on Orson Welles, but, you know, he did have a lot of uh, strange and, and nefarious connections, including the the whole World of Worlds broadcast, which was done at the behest of Princeton and Rockefeller uh, back study on, on ter- in terms of terror and psychological warfare, right? When he read the War of the Worlds on the radio and it scared everybody into thinking the aliens had landed. Mm-hmm. So he made a film called F for Fake that is very important. And what Wells does there is tell you in F for Fake that Hollywood is fake. But Hollywood is just as fake as most of what you hear in the news. That's one of the main points of that documentary. Mm-hmm. And it's curious because it's a mockumentary. It's not real. So within the fakery, you're being told truth about fakery, <laughs> which is a bit of a, an onion ring there. But that's the way a lot of this stuff works. And so if you can, you know, confuse things with truth within fakery, within truth within fakery, uh, it really makes it kind of impossible for you know, average Joe to really get to the bottom of it. And I think that's the main reason for so much of the obfuscation and confusion out there is that it really just sort of cloaks things and throws up, uh, you know, a, a bunch of dust, uh, you know, to, to cloud the truth and what's really going on. Um, and because it does take a lot of time and research, you know, to really get to the bottom of a lot of this. 
Well, through all the work that you do, the writing of the articles, this upcoming book, your radio show, can you just uh, leave a thought with the listeners today? What is it that you are trying to accomplish with all the great work you put out all the time? Well, I never would have thought, you know, 10 years ago before I started blogging that I would be in a position where I could reach millions of people, but it's gotten to that point. So it's really sort of blown me away to be able to, you know, reach that many people. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a professor. That was kind of what my goal was going to be when I was going through grad school. And I learned pretty quickly that if you don't go along with the establishment academia, yeah, you're not going to be welcomed into those cliques and circles. Not that I even want to be in those circles anymore. Um, so, you know, what gives me joy is, uh, you know, seeing people learn what's true. And so that's that's my main goal is to put out what's true and to help people, uh, you know, not get blindsided by baloney. And that's so much with women a sea of baloney. And so if we can critically think and, uh, you know, navigate the miasma of insanity, then maybe we can recover some sanity. And, you know, if, if we believe a bunch of, of, of baloney, then we're going to operate. On that baloney, we're going to we're going to uh, live our lives in such a fashion as to conform to the baloney that we might believe, and that usually leads to bad living, right? So it can actually be very dangerous not to learn the truth. Well, listen, Jay, thanks again so much for joining me today, listeners. Today, my guest was Jay Dyer. He's the author of the upcoming book Esoteric Hollywood. It'll be available in June. And until next week on the Truth Seekers Radio Show, God bless. Mm-hmm.